You're a swimmer, a cyclist, a runner. You're a triathlete. You're a conqueror of the multi-sport mentality. You seek greatness in your everyday life. But as an age grouper, your forte is the physical fitness that you strive for. Endurance is your middle name. You're listening to the Age Grouper for Life podcast, the ultimate source for living the triathlon lifestyle. Colin and Elliot will discuss the most optimal training techniques to get you where you want to be mentally and physically so you're ready to bring it. You can do it. Ready to bring it? Welcoming your host, Pete Triathlon and USAT certified coaches, Colin Cook and Elliot Kawaoka. Colin Cook with. This is Elliot Kawaoka. And this is episode number 18. And we are going to talk about uh, race scheduling and just kind of planning out your season. So, um, yeah, how are we doing, Elliot? Pretty good. My legs are pretty tired from running so much. I got Boston in five weeks. So it's kind of crunch time right now. Yeah, good stuff. And I'm, I'm excited to see your family too. Everything's really coming. Come spend some time in New Hampshire. Yep. We got about two feet of snow right now with another foot coming tomorrow. Well, hopefully the weather warms up a bit when I visit. Right, as long as it doesn't get too warm for you. (laughs) Hey, I'll take the extreme heat versus this, all that snow that you guys are getting. (laughs) I think you'd be better off with that, but uh, yeah, good deal. Um, Nice. All right, so, you know, we definitely got some questions, and I think it's a good area to cover here when we talk about, you know, what races people want to do and, you know, how close they should race one to one another, you know, and then really, though, most importantly, you know, setting out goals and making sure that your, your goals align and things like that with those races and whatnot. Um, so, you know, we're going to start with um, what we typically do with our clients is we provide them with an annual training plan sheet or an ATP. Um, so basically, you know, it, it lays out the year by weeks and then, you know, you can add in, you know, your different races that you have, um, you know, what your season goals are, your training goals. Um, and then you can put in, you know, work obligations, vacations. And then, you know, after that you'd submit it to, to your coach and then, um, you know, we go through and we take a look at that and then we kind of discuss, you know, what kind of what, what makes sense from a racing perspective and and so forth there. Um, so let's let's break down each one of those things here a little bit. Um, Ellie, you want to kind of hit on like what some examples of the different goals might be? Um, so, I mean, obviously race. I mean, so time oriented goals is a big thing. I mean, I always see those. Um but what I like to see also is like, if you want, if you're, if you want to get stronger on the bike, I mean, setting a power goal, like a new FTP, I mean, that's a great one that's, that I like seeing that I always kind of come up with myself. Um, and then, I don't know, I mean, there could be smaller things too, like get more sleep. I mean, that's a lot of, that's one, one thing that a lot of people don't get enough of or recover properly after every training session. I mean, that's a, another big one that 
oftentimes get, gets neglected. But just having these kind of goals written down on paper, I think, is a good starting point for both the client and and the coach. Yeah, so, you know, with the season goals, you know, obviously it could be something like, you know, completing your first Ironman or half Ironman or some, you know, big race. And uh, we'll talk about the priority races here in a minute. But uh, that can certainly be the case. But, uh, yeah, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, run a sub 40 minute, you know, 10K during an Olympic or something like that. Um, you know, really pretty broad of what it, what it could be. But also at the same time, like to see those be pretty specific. Um, but same thing goes with the training goals, right, where we can, you know, set up different uh, goals like, a, you know, reaching a certain FTP is a great one, like Elliot mentioned, you know, maybe it's increasing your cadence on the run, um, you know, all kinds of different things with the swim and your swim goals and, and benchmarks and things like that. Um, but I think it's, it's really important to, to do that so that you're thinking, you know, both long term, you know, from this for this season and, you know, potentially even further out than that. Um, but then also making sure that you have some short-term goals and things like that that uh, are helping you to, to get there along the way. Um, so, you know, when I always start out with clients, you know, again, I kind of give them free reins to, to put down whatever they want and, you know, what they're thinking from a race perspective. Um, you know, and I guess I should say uh, it's changing a little bit these days, but uh, it used to be where, you know, you had a race would, uh, you, you know, that take Ironman Arizona still sells out very fast, and you you have to know your races, you know your big Ironman races over a year in advance um, if you want to be signed up for them. Um, so that you know can put a little bit of a caveat in this, but besides that, you know, um, and and certainly if you're working with a coach, I'd recommend discussing that before signing up. But uh, once we get to that point, you know, you want to be um, putting down what races you want to do and then, you know, hopefully having somebody that, that understands what's going to make sense for you, um, put those things into, you know, make, make sense of them and, and give you some suggestions how you may or may not want to do certain races and things like that. Um, but to me, you know, the, the biggest thing is making sure that, um, you know, some people love the race and, and they want they need to race often to stay motivated. And other people, you know, they really, um, you know, just want to do that one big race. And to me, that's totally fine. Um, you know, in all honesty, most most of the time, from a coaching perspective, it's easier to work with somebody that races less. Uh, but it's it's really all about, you know, figuring out um, what's going to keep that person motivated and then trying to make sure that that schedule is working out appropriately to have them be able to perform like they want to and, you know, have fun and, and do those races that they want. Um, so yeah, Ellie, you want to add anything there? Yeah. And I think just prior, prioritizing racing is very important. I mean, you got to pick what's your most important race of the year and then what are the building blocks? What are the building races leading up to that? Where, I mean, they're not going to be your A races, but they're going to be important tune-up races to get ready for the big race. perspective you know definitely kind of working backwards in your schedule is, is a great way to go so you know if you know your um you know top priority races um ironman lake placid in, in july you know you want to kind of work backwards and think about um you know what races you want to do leading up to that or making sure that your your training is optimal to, to prepare for that so um you know that's that's a pretty common theme we especially as uh here in new england you know i've got a lot of people that want to do lake Placid, and it's obviously a very popular race um 
and that one's actually a little bit tricky for us New Englanders to to find a you know half Ironman or things that that line up well um, to fit into that schedule without having a race too close um, or you know potentially too far out from from the big one. So um, you know I guess not to get too far of a tangent with the Ironman versus half Ironman and when to do them. Um, but, uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, six plus weeks out for that iron, uh, excuse me, that half Ironman in front of the Ironman, yep. um, just to make sure that you can, you know, still give it some priority so that you can at least taper a little bit and recover from it and then still get the appropriate volume you need in for the Ironman or your big race. I mean, this could be the same thing if you were working up towards a half Ironman with an Olympic distance or something, um, a little bit different there because the recovery isn't quite as substantial for, um, an Olympic distance as opposed to a half, but um, those are the kind of variables and things that we're, we're definitely thinking about and making sure those align. Um, Ellie, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is a question for you too. I mean, so when you race a big race, like a 70.3, so, I mean, tapering is typically, I don't know, two, two maybe three weeks if you really want to perform at this one, but then you're racing and then the recovery time is another two weeks. So that's another thing to think of is like, that's an entire month of revolving around that race that could impact your schedule. So if you race too much, then you're always kind of like in that cycle. You know what I mean? I mean, it's if you race too much, I just feel like it's really hard to build from build from those kind of races I and mean, build fitness. Whereas if you're kind of just training up to your big race, you're constantly, I mean, you're building, building, week weeks upon weeks and then you're ready to race versus if you're racing too much then I don't know my I mean from personal experience I've kind of raced flat if I race too much or too soon yeah I mean I think there's a few variables that go into that but um I I think experience and fitness are uh huge huge impactors you know into that and uh, more experienced people with with you know a stronger fitness level are going to be able to get away and, and race more often successfully than those people that are newer to the sport and you know they may uh, accumulate more you know cumulative fatigue and things like that from those races that uh, um, that they're doing and whatnot. So um, you know you you really got to be able to and certainly you know your age and and how quickly you recover and what kind of recovery techniques are typically in place all you know definitely have an impact on that. So. That's where, you know, tapering, uh, we could probably spend a whole episode uh, just talking about that. But, um, you know, why don't we talk about that for a few minutes? Um, I mean, Elliot, what do you, uh, what do you like to, to typically do for, for the, I guess this is a little bit loaded because we, you, you definitely have to factor in, again, the age and the fitness level of athletes. But um, what do you like to do for, for taper periods? So, I mean, the number one thing I see people messing up on is, They'll back way off on volume and intensity, and I think that's a very big mistake. I mean, you got to keep your intensity up. Definitely back off the volume. But I typically like to, I don't know, would you say about 50% volume, like on your taper weeks? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it really uh, depends on the distance of the race. Um, you know, where, you know, for an Ironman, you know, typically we'll do a two- to three-week taper. Um, but I like to, to really, you know, taper really differently for each one of the sports. Um, so for running, certainly that's what's putting the most stress on your body. So 
starting that taper a little bit sooner than the biking and especially the swimming, yep. uh, I think is, is definitely a, a smart move there. Um, but, you know, one thing I will definitely mention that as age group triathletes, you know, and yes, we have to factor in all the, you know, stress that's going on outside of life and things like that, but we're not, you know, training nearly as much, uh, most of us anyways, as, you know, professional triathletes that, uh, you know, when you're putting 30 plus hours in a week, you know, when you start, th- those, those are the kind of people that really need to significantly drop their volume. Um, but, you know, if, we're, if our volume is, is still, you know, in that, let's say 12 to 15 hour range, um, even during some of our higher peaks of, of training, um, you know, if you have a, a solid fitness level, you know, you should be able to really do no more that, or shouldn't really need much more than a two week taper, um, especially from a cycling and, and swimming perspective, maybe a little bit more on the run. And again, depending on a half Ironman versus Ironman. Um, but I, I feel like I've seen a lot of people tape a little, taper, excuse me, a little too much. Um, and you got to be really careful with that. I mean, Elliot definitely nailed it where, you know, if you're going to drop your volume, absolutely. But, uh, you know, you can't just drop all your intensity as well. Um, you need to make sure you got both the fast and slow twitch muscles still moving, uh, muscle fibers, I should say. And, um, you know, it's, it's important that you, uh, that you're still getting some speed work in and, and staying sharp, um, you know, regardless of, of the duration of the taper. Um, but to elaborate more on, you know, what I typically do with a, with a lot of, uh, especially if they're if an Ironman athlete that's doing a three week taper, we may actually, you know, we have that peak week and uh, very high volume in that week four, and we may actually come down substantially during that uh, first week of the taper, and then we end up actually going up a little bit in in week two, and then maybe coming a little bit in between kind of that one week one and two for that third and final week as we, you know, head into the race. Um, so, you know, this is, a, again, definitely where you can learn a lot about yourself um, for tapering for different races. So, you know, if you can lay things out where you have the opportunity to try some things, you know, all right, you know, maybe I just do, you know, a two-week taper or something for this, this half Ironman, um, and I can see, you know, how you feel during the race, uh, certainly, excuse me, and then also how quickly you recover after. Um, that can really help you to line up things for, you know, your Ironman race and whatnot. So, um, everybody's going to be different there and, you know, there's, there's going to be some trial and error and you may need to, to try some things that don't work, but, uh, um, you, you really want to, to give yourself, uh, a shot, especially if you're in this for the long haul to be able to, to try some things and, and figure out what, what works best for you. Um, so how do you, that? yeah. So how do you look at. So what I what I also see is like people rushing in. So they they are done with their big race and they're on a they're on cloud nine and they want to race again really soon. And how do you judge when they're ready to start training again? Yeah, I mean, you know, the other huge impact, you know, about how often you should be racing is, you know, um, I think the mental side of, of things is is far you know underlooked and and not considered uh, by a lot of people and you know if you're really giving it everything you've got you know then um i i don't know many people that can do that often and and regularly and you know really get their best out of the races so you know you wanna i kind of recommend keeping the racing a little bit on the the lighter side so that you know you're really excited and you're really hungry to race um you know if you're looking to do your best in in each one of your races um so 
you know, yeah, you, you got to be careful. Um, you know, we'll talk about definitely uh, uh, something I would consider a mistake that uh, I, um, what was it, back in 2012, I think it was, I did Ironman uh, U.S. Championship to the New York City race that's no longer in existence, and then uh, I ended up doing the uh, um, uh, USA Triathlon Nationals um, the uh, weekend after, and uh <laughs> You know, it was it was in Vermont, so it was close to home, and I, I wasn't able to make it because of a wedding or something like that the year before. So I really wanted to be a part of it, but holy smokes, was that a challenging race uh, afterwards there? And my you know my body just didn't have what it needed, and mentally, I think more than anything, I just didn't have it. And so that made for uh, yeah, I'm so glad I, I was part of it, but uh, didn't make for the best of experiences, and I was you know very miserable for that race so yeah and uh, i had a i had a very similar experience in 2016 when i did ironman canada and then four weeks later i tried racing quarter lane and like you said it's i don't it's more i think it's more mental like you you're so mentally prepared for i was so mentally prepared for canada and then you go and you try to repeat that same exact performance and same exact mindset in in Coeur d'Alene and it was just not a good experience for me either yeah yeah and uh right for both of us I know uh it didn't work out uh we didn't we didn't exactly get the performances we were looking for in those races either right um so yeah I mean that's that's just a, a huge piece of it and um um you know, and, it, and it's, it all comes back to really just having realistic expectations. And, you know, even when I was putting things together on my ATP for that year, you know, the age group nationals were certainly still a C race. And, you know, I didn't have the highest of expectations for that race. And, you know, it was more just to be there. But, uh, you know, if you're expecting to, to race every weekend and, uh, and perform at your best, um, good luck. <laughs> really the only way to, to put it there. That's just uh a very uh, challenging and in um, the majority of cases unrealistic goal. Um, so, yeah. Um, why don't you, Ellie, you want to talk a little bit about uh, like the priority races and A, B, C and kind of how we would typically rank those? Yeah, so in on the ATP, I usually go, okay, you want to start with your A race, which is your priority race of the year. So, for example, I'm racing... Canada this year so that's my A race and then from that you build your your B and your C races so I mean early on the season I've done a whole bunch of running races which are C races and so they're less less important than the A races I guess but you I mean still race them hard but um they're kind of just building blocks leading up to your to your a race i mean is that how you would put it colin yeah exactly i mean a couple of things with that so yeah i mean i'm a believer for sure um you know if you want to go run with some friends or something like that do a race as a training you know session you know i guess you can do that and uh you know i do have clients that do that and if you have the discipline to do that you know i'm, I'm kind of okay with that but Really, I'm of the mindset and, and try and recommend for my clients that, you know, if you're racing, you're racing, right? Yeah. And you're giving all you got. So whether you're... You know, I really don't like the term training race, so... Right. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I'm with you. So, you know, you want to you wanna get out there and give it your all and, you know, 
you may have done, you know, a four or five hour ride the day before, depending on where you are in your schedule or something like that, you know, especially with those sea races, right? You know, where we're going to really ultimately a lot of, a lot of times, you know, depending on where that race sits in your schedule, um, you know, you, you may not taper really at all for it. And, um, you know, so that, that could, especially if it's a Sunday race and, you know, you got to get some volume in that weekend, um, you know, Saturday is really the only way to, day to do it. Um, I actually have done it and certainly see lots of people that do train after races, like same day. And I really try to avoid that. And I've done that a few times myself, but it is just it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the quality just isn't there and it's really not even worth the, the struggle that uh, you end up putting in. So, you know, uh, I think that if you, if you, you're willing and, and accepting of the, the volume, you know, if you want to put in some, some, uh, volume the, the week, excuse me, the day before a race, you know, then, uh, you can definitely do that. But, um, you know, you, you gotta, you, it doesn't seem to work out very well after. I agree. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, you know, that's that's definitely something important and you know when you go to those sea races you know really the, the way i look at that and and sometimes you know you may have a race that you kind of would would not you're not a huge priority for but you still can taper for it a little bit more because of where it lines up in, in relation to other races so like you said elliot where you got some you know sea races that you're running um you know in prep really for boston i would say probably right yep. and just getting a general fitness and things you know you may actually be able to taper a little bit for those if they're far enough out that, you know, it's not going to have a detrimental impact to your, you know, longer term goals and things like that. But, um, typically you see those C races, you know, to have very little taper and, um, you know, obviously the, the low priority races. And then, you know, when you get to the B races, those are going to be the ones that, uh, you know, you're not fully tapering for, but, uh, you still, you know, really want to, ensure that you got yourself in a, in a decent position to, to be able to race well. And, um, for most people, again, always loaded here and depending on the athlete, but, uh, you know, like a B race, you may just do a one week or maybe a 10 day taper for it. And then, um, you know, gotta make sure, I guess the, always the, the priority has to be ensuring that you recover properly after the race. Um, you know, if you, if you dive back into training too quickly, that's definitely going to be um, a very bad idea, and it's going to you know affect your long-term goals there. So, making sure that you're you're working in adequate adequate recovery, um, you know, which certainly for running races, right, uh, if you're really going all out, is definitely going to take longer than um, you know if it were to be a cycling race or um, even in some cases triathlons versus a standalone running race. You know, kind of goes back to that point of, and I'll still believe that. Uh, a standalone marathon is generates more fatigue and, and requires a longer recovery than an Ironman does. Oh, I would um, agree. Right. That's why yeah. you're highly opposed to to open marathons, right? No, I think we should do those. Absolutely. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's a good point here. Not to go off on another tangent here, but I guess that's kind of what we're filling this episode up with. Um, but uh, yes, you know. Really, and, and actually, I still I still get it quite a bit where I have clients that uh, I, I take a first look at their ATP, and it's always fun to me when I get to open that up for the first time and see what's going through an athlete's mind of, of what they want to do. Um, but, uh, you know, 
if there's a standalone marathon within four months, even five months of, uh, of a full Ironman, um, you know, depending on the priority and again, the athlete, a little bit more fit athletes might be able to get away with it, but, uh, that is going to be far more detrimental to your training than it is going to be beneficial. Yeah, and I think you also have to look at the athlete's like injury history as well. I mean, if you're injury prone, I like to stay away from the marathon because it's just it's so much run volume and the chances of injury are just so much greater when you're training when you're running that much. Yep, such a good point. Yep, and you know that's that's got to be uh, really factored in there when you're thinking about uh, your race schedule and you know. Um, you know, working in strength and things like that is going to be huge, and, and hopefully to preventing those injuries. But uh, um, if you're injury prone, you know that's uh, don't do the marathon. Simply <laughs> uh, put, uh, but uh, but yeah, and then you know obviously we have our A races, which are going to be you know your top priority races, and those are certainly the ones that again you're you're building your schedule around and making sure that you really are. Are tapered properly and um, and fully, both physically and mentally, ready to race. Um, so, I mean, you know, how much how much recovery time? I mean, I know everyone is different, but how much recovery time do you typically give clients for Ironman seventy point three? I mean, what happens if you have an athlete that just solely races Olympics? Like, how often would you allow them to race? Well, I mean, you know, it, it really. Know, kind of depends and and ultimately you know the the time it takes them to complete that event really comes into play right yep i'll, I'll use you know lucas Bezetta, you know the pro that i coach um you know he, uh, there was one season he was racing all the time and um you know not every weekend but i would say he averaged racing at least one out of three weekends you know for most of the summer um but again this was all olympic distance races or sprints where, you know, he was out on the course, you know, for two hours or less, right? Um, and so, you know, he was able to recover from those legitimately in two to three days, right? So, you know, if you if you set things up so that, you know, you recover well after those races, you know, get a little bit of work in um, and some intensity and things um, during that, that next week, you know, you can, you can easily race successfully back-to-back weekends. Yeah. And, um, you know, that can be done. You know, if you do it for too long, you know, you're going to, you're ultimately going to lose fitness um, because you're not able to get the adequate volume and things like that in to, to be able to, to even maintain that, you know, depending on your fitness levels and things like that. So you got to be, you know, careful there, Um, you know, but if you've got somebody that uh, is doing, you know, that Olympic distance and that three, you know, pushing four hours, you know, that's, that's really where you're getting closer to um, half Ironman, you know, impact and, um, you know, fatigue being generated from that. So those people are definitely going to need more time to recover. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's always a little bit tricky and something that's, again, I keep saying it, but, uh, you know, depends on the person, but, um, you know, the, the time you're out on the course should definitely be a, a factor as well. Um, so the, the, the longer you're out there, you know, simply put, um, that the, the longer you should be, um, you know, recovering and, and, uh, in that, uh, recovery phase, of, uh, afterwards after a race. So, well, Colin, actually, what about when I raced Hawaii and I walked the entire marathon and I felt fine the next day? Well, there is that. <laughs> uh, 
you know, yes, uh, you know, so the, the, again, and, and that's where really even stresses the point more of, you know, the, the fatigue and, and why a standalone marathon may be more uh, impactful than, a, than an Ironman, right? Yeah. Because the intensity is a lot lower. Exactly. You know, the intensity is different. And it's most cases, it's the running that really puts that impact and pounding on the body that you're, that you need to recover from. Um, but uh, so, yeah, you know, a case like that uh, may break the, the exception. But, you know, assuming you went out and you gave it, you know, a, uh, a reasonable effort, you know, you, that uh, in decent uh, in, in relation to your goals and whatnot, and, you, you know, you've, you completed it kind of as planned. Um, I do. It's, it's a little bit of a stretch. But uh, if we really wanted to generalize things, you know, that um, one day of recovery for every hour that you're on the course, I think can be, uh, a decent one. Um, you know, certainly when we get up into the longer stuff, it, it can, especially with the half Ironman, I think it can fluctuate a little bit more than with some of the other races. Um, but I'd say I see too many people, especially Ironman athletes jumping back into training way too fast. Yeah. And you know, yes, you, you may have started to lose some of that, you know, the actual physical soreness and things like that, but there's so much still going on in your body and in recovering and things that, uh, you gotta be, um, you know, careful with. Um, but it's, it's interesting, you know, and everybody's different. Like I know, uh, Matt Russell, um, uh, professional, you know, he, uh, he really, like, I think he did Ironman Chattanooga and then it's, uh, two weeks later he did Kona um, and he likes that because he feels like that's great fitness and kind of that's when he starts his tape you know that the Chattanooga is technically when he starts his taper for for Kona and um, I, I'm not sure that's the right strategy for many people and uh, it's a little bit aggressive but um, you know that's that's kind of one of those other extremes and again being a um, professional, he's he's out there a lot less than uh, than the age the average age grouper is going to be, so that that comes into play too. But uh, um, you got to play around with that a little bit and see what works for you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. That um, you know, and I guess certainly you know, trying to work around and and sometimes the most important thing that I can look at outside of, you know, what the top priority races are for a client is, you know, what are their work or, or vacation, you know, uh, obligations, right? You know, um, we don't, we don't want to do a two week, or uh, let's call it even a week cruise, you know, one week before an Ironman or something, right. Um, where you're probably going to be, you know, overeating and, uh, and not getting in the training and things that you want. Um, so, you know, I always, uh, you know, maybe this is shame on me for, for accommodating. You know, I, I, if, if a, I'm never going to tell very, very rarely will I tell a, uh, an athlete, there's absolutely no way I will allow you to do this race. You know, what we're doing is we're providing our recommendations and experience and things like that to give them very strong suggestions in some, some cases to, on what races and things make sense for them. But ultimately, you know, it's, it's on you as the athlete to decide what you want to do. Um, so, you know, it sometimes can unfortunately reflect the coach poorly if, uh, somebody does something that they don't recommend and, and then they end up having a, a poor performance, um, because of it. But, uh, you know, you got to make your decisions based on what's going to make sense for your life and, and you just got to be realistic with those expectations. So, 
you know, when it comes to, to vacations things, yes, obviously we gotta, we gotta work those in. It's an extremely important to have that, that family time and, or relaxation time, regardless of whether it's with the family or whatnot. Um, but if we can work those into the right times, you know, in relation to our big races, um, I think that that's extremely important. I agree. Yeah. So I have another question for you, Colin. So how many A races would you say is too much for an, an average age grouper per year? Well, um, I think that can depend on how long your season is. Um, but I mean, I think you can definitely legitimately have, you know, three, uh, a races per year, oftentimes two, um, that you can legitimately, you know, fully taper and, and be at your both mental and physical best, um, throughout a year. Um, although, you know, it, uh, it definitely can depend a little bit and, and depend on that athlete, but, uh, I'd say that's a good general rule of thumb. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I would agree with that too. Um, you know, it's funny, uh, I've got a client that I work with now that, uh, uh, I, I started working with him his second year of triathlon and his first year of triathlon, he did five Ironmans. <laughs> and you allowed that? No. So, uh, let me clarify okay. there. So, uh, I, I started working with him his second season. Uh, so it was after he had just, he was, uh, we actually started talking when he was about to do his fifth Ironman. Um, and, uh, I still can't get over that he was able to do that. It's not even like, you know, he was doing shorter course races prior to that. He like jumped right in and, uh, and did five. This guy's pretty <laughs> remarkable man, but, uh, you know, and he has just last year after I, I finally have, we've compromised and he does three Ironmans per year now. Um, but, uh, he did, he did race Kona last year, so he, he must've been doing something right to, to get the experience and things that, uh, that's worked out. But, um. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and, you know, if he had continued on that path, I'm, I'm pretty pretty confident he would have ended up broken and, and likely out of the sport um, just because, you know, you, you can't spend that much time and, and pounding and things that impact on your body and expect, uh, expect it to hold up, especially when you're at that level of experience. Um, so uh, the most Ironmans I've ever done is I did three one year, um, and that was too much for me that was uh that was a lot um it was the year first year I, I qualified for Kona so Kona was the third one and uh um that was you know a great experience but uh, the race did not go as well as I wanted um for sure and uh um you know experience certainly was a, a factor there as well um but uh I do think that the fact that it was my third third race um Ironman of the year was was a big part of it um but, you know, you've got those people, right, that maybe they're, they're out there shooting for um, getting a legacy Kona slot, right? So, um, you know, depending on, on how you lay things out and your kind of your expectations for a race, and, you know, that's something where, again, if you can go out and, let's say, you know, run that, run the marathon at, you know, let's, let's call it 80, 85% effort as opposed to absolutely all out, um, you know, and minimize the, the impact and, and be able to recover a little bit faster. Um, you know, that's where, you know, doing three plus maybe three or so, uh, Ironmans per year, I think is, is very doable. And especially with them being all over the world and throughout the entire year now, 
Um, you know, it's, it's definitely feasible to do kind of things like that. But, you know, if you've got somebody, ex, you know, going out and, and trying to qualify for Kona during each one of those races, you know, good luck. Um, that's going to be a pretty tough feat. And, you know, you're just asking a little too much of your body at that point. Yeah. I mean, and, and one thing I like to do is, I mean, you got to, I like to look long-term, even for myself. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I've been in, been able to be motivated and I mean I'm I could maybe I've probably been burnt out once in my throughout my 10 years but I I like to look long term and triathlon's kind of a lifestyle and when I race too much I get burnt out I just don't want to train anymore and that's something I like to avoid with all my clients as well I mean you just you can you, you can do five Ironmans in a year but I mean how is that going to affect your body and your mindset going forward? Oh, for sure. I mean, that goes back to mindset again. And uh, I'm still pretty sure. Actually, maybe it was only like after the first one. Like anytime I, right after I finish an Ironman, I say, all right, that's the last one. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just. Uh, no, and I think if you're racing them, like you said, if you're racing them hard and you're mentally, 100% mentally focus on that race it's just so hard to race multiple ones as an age group i guess pros are a little different because their volume is a lot more and they're just they have to race more but as an age grouper i just i mean myself personally i just i can't rebound mentally in a short period of time to race as well or i mean i just i have those thoughts in my head going into the race on the last one just how much pain that was and it's too fresh in your mind yeah (laughs) but then you know to to finish my story though i guess on you know i i'm saying you know literally the day or two after the race i'm still like oh i don't want to i don't want to do that again and uh um but then by three four days you're like ah it wasn't that bad and then by five six seven you're saying all right what's what's the next one you know so I think that it's just kind of a, a natural mental state and uh, process there that we kind of we go through for, for most of us anyways. Yeah, I think uh, my general rule of thumb is r- once you forget about all the bad moments in your Ironman and you remember all the good moments, then you're ready to race an Ironman again. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good <laughs> point. So, but you don't really know those things, and you're going to have yeah. you know, different experiences, obviously, if a race doesn't go well you know you can take that two ways right you know you can say oh the hell with this you know that sucked and i'm not wasting my time with this or you can use that as motivation that uh i'm gonna do it better the next time you know and uh and you gotta it's it's up to you really to to make that decision and and figure out you know what's what's best for you and uh uh, what you want to do so um but again it's it's all it's all mental so um I shouldn't say all, you know, certainly the physical aspect of it again, where I see people not recovering enough um, and getting diving back into training. Um, You just got to be really careful with that because that's a lot of times where injuries and certainly eventually burnout can can happen when you're uh, pushing the envelope too much, especially when it's both physically and mentally. Uh, Cool. So... Yeah, um, you know, why don't we quickly just kind of also talk about, we didn't really talk about the different phases of training. Want to go through those real quick? Yeah. Want me to take that? Yeah, you can can start up. I can add on. Cool. So 
for our clients anyways, you know, we're a, a big fan of spending as much time as possible in what we call the out season. So um, notice we didn't call it the off season, right? And um, certainly there are other athletes that, that take the off season a lot differently where, you know, they're just trying to maintain and they're taking lots of time off and, and not doing too much. Um, with the out season for our athletes, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're on the lower volume side for sure, but uh, we have a lot of intensity and we're trying to get faster at shorter distances to then translate to going faster over longer distances. So, you know, we're still working hard and, um, you know, want to be getting better during that time. So because of that, because we're keeping the volume down, but the intensity is up, that really should lead us into the season where we can, you know, be fresh both physically and, and mentally um, to, to head into, you know, our specific prep for our, you know, higher priority races. Um, you know, sometimes that can be a little bit tricky, you know, depending on where your race is um, in relation to, you know, the calendar year there where, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm definitely going to treat an athlete differently if, um, you know, they're coming from uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and uh, they're racing Ironman Texas, you know, in, in April, right? Um, they're obviously going to need to put in some, you know, substantial volume in, in Ironman prep during the winter. But, um, you know, I think that you're going to mentally drain yourself out by putting in too much volume when, you know, most of it's going to be done indoors and whatnot. Um, so you got to be, be careful there, but it kind of goes back to, you know, trying to, to be in that out season for as long as you can. And then from there we can transition into really two different phases of training. Um, not really a big fan of base training, but I think it certainly should be mentioned. And for some athletes, it does work very well. Um, so with, with base training, you know, we're going to be pretty much all heart rate focused and, you know, for the majority of your training, you're doing it all based on heart rate and you're typically keeping it in like a zone two, um, effort level, um, and percentage in relation, um, for, for most of your trainings. I mean, that literally means, you know, walking up hills if it allows your heart rate to get up to, or if your heart rate's going to get too high and preventing that from happening. Um, you know, still like to have at least one swim, bike, and run with some intensity during each week um, because if you don't do that, you're definitely, um, I feel you're going to lose a lot of that speed and, and you're not going to, you know, get faster. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's, there's definitely significant proof and evidence that um, base training and kind of that low-intensity training works. It just takes a lot more time to be able to develop that. So if you're somebody that, uh, you know, is retired or, doesn't add a job and, you know, you can train all day, you know, base training and, and doing that low heart rate training can definitely work for you. Um, but if you're like, you know, I'd say 99% of the world and you've got, uh, you know, full-time job, family and, and everything else going on, other, other activities and things, then, um, you know, working in some intensity and things is definitely going to be um, a way to minimize the amount of training volume you need, you need to have. And, Ultimately, I feel you, you still are able to race a lot better because you've been mentally in those, you know, harder places and you know how to work and, and stay focused and, and different things that uh, are a little bit more challenging to ob obtain when you're uh, base training and whatnot. Yeah. So from there, you know, we definitely would move into um, what we call the build phase of training. So this is now where we're starting to really kind of get into our, our race prep 
and you know the volume is definitely going to increase or you know so if you base train you're likely going to have to kick up that volume pretty substantially um, to get the the effects you want there but then you know once we get into the build phase we're definitely going to pick up that volume like i said and start getting into a little bit more race specific intervals and things like that so will depend on the on the race distance and you know your goals for sure but you know we're not just still still want to have some intensity not just all right you know go ride your bike for three hours or four hours or something like that and let me know how it went you know it's still want to have some intensity in there you know for most people that's working in kind of that tempo um zone three potentially low zone four efforts um where you know from a power percentage you know we call it 65 all the way up to you know 88 90 percent um for some folks and and this is i guess generally speaking this is more for half ironman and ironman folks um but uh yeah that you know we're definitely getting more volume and trying to get dialed into both a feel and effort levels that likely you're going to try and replicate in your races um you know certainly again not all the time you know still and as we're our volume is increasing we got to make sure that we're working in those recovery workouts and and getting the you know sufficient amount of recovery, but we're uh, we're cranking out uh, a bit more volume and and getting you know specific prep in for for your big races. Um, so that you know depending again on whether you're doing you know Olympic, half iron, Ironman, um, you know how long you're in each phase will depend both on experience level and you know what what rate or what distance race you're doing. But uh, for most people, are going to want to be at least three you know probably four blocks or months or so of, uh, of that kind of training to, to really get prepared um, sufficiently for, for their big races. And then from there, um, you know, we move into uh, the taper, which we've, you know, talked about a decent amount here. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly tapering is, is extremely important and uh, not necessarily a pure science. Take some some art to it as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a long spiel for me, Elliot. What do you got here, bud? Um, I mean... To add on to that, so in the out season, I like to, I like hitting up the weights a little bit heavier and just kind of building a foundation throughout the year, just so you're just, your body's strong and it just doesn't break down in the middle of the year when you're in your build phase, when you don't have as much time to lift. So in the out season, I kind of like to, I like to hit up the strength work a little bit, like a lot more and then kind of what Colin was saying when you get to the build it's kind of just maintaining as far as as far as your strength works goes is that you know again and when we talk about the out season right we got to make sure that getting healthy and not working that's not the time to work through injuries or anything like that we got to fix any imbalances or weaknesses we have and um you know, great time to, let's say, you know, you're a weaker swimmer or something, you know, that's the time to, to put in a little extra focus on that swim or whatever it may be yeah. so that you're, uh, you know, better off prepared for your races there. Um, but, yeah, great, great points there, absolutely. Um, nice. So let's see. Uh, I think we covered pretty much everything. You got anything that we missed here, right? Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And I think... I think what will help a lot of the listeners out is if we post our own, if, if we post our ATP schedule, like a blank sheet for people to look at. I mean, that's a great way to plan out your season. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and post that uh, 
on the Age Grouper for Life site here, um, agegrouperforlife.com, if you got it from a different resource. Um, but uh, awesome. Well, good deal. Well, you keep uh, keep on top of that uh, that running here and uh, that Boston prep. Pam and I are pumped to see you, and uh, we're going to have a good time uh, hanging out and rooting you on for the race here. Yeah, I think last time I saw you, you only had you only had two kids. Only had two, right? Jeez. <laughs> well, yeah, you get to meet the complete Cook family. Oh, I can't wait. In her new house. In our new house, yeah. And we get to meet your lady friend. Yep. We oh, should have boy. her on here sometime, too. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Absolutely. So, awesome. Well, I hope that was helpful, everybody. You know, definitely let us know if you have any questions or feel like uh, we missed the mark on anything. But um, we appreciate it, and uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks, guys. Take care.